You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus, starting at $3 a month. Get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me this week is co-host Will Miles. You can find him on his site, readandreaction.com. And on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will, how you doing, man? I don't know, man. I'm I'm just getting ready for football. We're only a couple of months away at this point. They had the spring game in what seemed like January, so just it's been like three or four months, starting to get a little bit itchy. And uh, you know, it, it's, it's, what, what what spring game? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> okay. Now you now you're really just poking the bear over here. But uh, now, you know, it's been one of those sort of mystery off seasons where we don't really know what's going on with the program because of all that and because of the early spring practice and and uh, so yeah, you know, I'm sort of chomping at the bit to get uh, to get some real football out there. I'm waiting for fall camp, but uh, this will have to do right previewing the different position groupings, looking back at some of the films, some of the stats, and uh, trying to predict what we're going to see next year. Yeah. Um... Athlon Preseason Magazine. I already got my hands on it this past weekend. So uh, that's when you, like you said, you're kind of waiting. And there's one of the first hints that, that it gets close is when those preseason magazines hit. So waiting on Lindy's whenever that releases. And then we'll do the, uh, you know, we'll dive into the uh, preseason magazines as we do every year uh, here on, uh, on Gators Breakdown. So it'll be fun in a couple weeks. Hope, I, th- I think we'll, yeah, probably a couple weeks before we do that. And uh, we had talked behind the scenes and uh, look, um, we'll preview it. There's no, there's no pressure on Dan Mullen in 2021. But Will, you had the good point of, uh, it's like how can we, how can we approach that? You have pressure points for 2021. So I think that will be our, uh, our next week episode. But uh, this week, plenty, plenty to discuss here. Uh, Gators grab a recent uh, commit out of the transfer portal, and we'll talk wide receivers. Last week it was quarterback, quarterback, run game, running backs, and all the all the all the run game talk you could handle last week. Now we'll kind of shift it to the passing aspect and the wide receivers uh, focused on that group. Will so, uh, man, plenty to discuss. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, the funny part is, is that there's all the baseball going on, all the softball going yeah. on, and it turns out I'm still missing football. So it's, it's fun to see the Gators <laughs> succeed. I mean, the tennis team won a national championship this past week. The women's softball team, you had, uh, had Elizabeth Hightower throw a no-hitter this weekend. The second baseman made an unbelievable play there. So plenty of sports going on, but uh, the itch is there, buddy. The itch is there. So hopefully we can help scratch it a little bit tonight. All football, all the time. That's what we do here on Gators Breakdown. Before we get started, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there. Also, check us out on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching on YouTube, a lot of you are doing that right now. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button if you're not already subscribed. It really helps us out here on Gators Breakdown. Let's people, you know, searching around YouTube or just the internet in general. If they're looking for Gators Talk, they can find Gators Breakdown, but it takes your help there hitting that like button here on YouTube. So, uh, yeah, well, let's get into it. Uh, of course, it happened over the weekend. The Gators grab uh, commit at the transfer portal quarterback, Jadarius Perkins. Kind of weird one here, Will. I mean, he transferred from Juco College, went to Missouri, took part in spring practice for Missouri. He even was taking first-team reps in some of the practices. He was second-team in Missouri spring game. Taking advantage of the NCAA's one-time transfer already without even playing a snap for Missouri. Uh, the thought is he can come in here and, and be a part of this defense right away, whether it be the cornerback spot opposite Kyrie Elam, uh, whether it be maybe the nickel star position uh, there. But the Gators, you know, uh, right here, Will, getting a top five JUCO prospect to go along with his former teammate, the top overall juco prospect in the country dewan black there they, they played the, together uh in um mississippi gulf coast juco college so gators grabbed someone that many think will can uh, be a, a immediate contributor here on the gators defense you know we'll see i mean i, I think it's interesting you, you're pretty sure that dan mullen knows him and maybe even todd grantham knows him because he's from hadesburg mississippi and and obviously mullen and grantham were at mississippi state up until the end of 2017 and 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 you know, he was a 2018 recruit originally before he went to junior college. So there's probably quite a bit of familiarity there there between the coaches and the player. And then obviously, you know, you mentioned Dewan Black being there. I think the interesting thing is, is that, um, you know, Florida only had six scholarship corners. So they were certainly looking for depth at that spot. The question becomes, you probably guaranteed the guy a starting job if he's coming in <laughs> for, uh, you know, if, if he's coming in from Missouri when he was already sort of sitting there, probably going to have a starting job there or at least be competing for one. But, you know, you do wonder where that's going to happen because you got Kyrie Elam, who's established as the boundary corner. You you hope that Jason Marshall is going to be out there starting day one with with the pedigree that he's got, true freshman, five star recruit, and then you got Jadon Hill, you've got Ethan Pouncey, Avery Helm, Finley Graham, all these guys who are sort of waiting in the wings. They signed a bunch of corners back in twenty twenty. Um, certainly guys like Chester Kembro left, and if you if you were if your expectation is that Perkins is sort of a fill in for Kembro, I mean Kembro played some snaps last year, was going to have a bigger role this year. If you think Perkins is going to start to have that role, then okay, I think it's a really good addition. Um, if he's going to be playing the corner opposite Kyrie Elam, then I think that maybe says something about what they saw during spring practice and, and might be a little bit concerning. But, you know, again, it, it's the new age of college football where you got these guys transferring all over the place, neither good nor bad. It just is, right? It's the way things are. And we're going to see a lot more movement. And that's going to mean that, uh, you know, you have the opportunity to snag some guys maybe coming into fall camp, but it's also going to mean that you're going to have some guys leaving fall camp who, uh, or at least leaving spring camp, who can be snagged by somebody else. And that's just sort of the way things are these days. Yeah, well, 6'2", 190, 4'4", 40-yard dash. 
I'm t- as you said, to me, it works out best if he's somehow that nickel corner with that speed, that size. I- I'd like to have him there. Florida needs a playmaker at that position. Not not since Chauncey Gardner Johnson has Florida had a playmaker that star position that, that that makes a difference. I mean, it's actually been kind of been of a detriment to that team since Chauncey Gardner Johnson left. Him rebounding after 2017, having a really nice 2018 in that role. Florida needs somebody to step up there, and maybe that's part of this. You know, defense not living up to the overall expectation is. You know, I think that 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 position could have been so important for Todd Grantham, and for whatever reason, since Chauncey Gardner Johnson's left, not I mean, hasn't even really been serviceable play at that position. Yeah, is it? I, I don't even really know what to think about this stuff at this point. I mean, you had Jahari Rogers transfer out. You figure from a pedigree standpoint, he's more talented than Darius Perkins. Um, but at the same time, you know, obviously you transfer out because you don't think you're getting the playing time that you want usually. Um, and, and so I, I don't know what to think, right? You've got this guy who's a high-level four-star transferring out. you got this guy who's a JUCO transfer transferring in. And, and is it that we're missing that? it factor at the star and they think he can give it to them or is it just that you know sort of this is the way things are these days that some guys really want to start and aren't aren't necessarily going to gonna wait to see whether they're going to start until the fall and then or then you know have they made some guarantees to Perkins coming in I don't know it's gonna be fascinating to see I agree with you I think the better it's easier to play an outside corner position it's easier to learn a defense at the outside corner and so Marshall playing out there is something that I you know I, I think we'll probably see at some point in the season and maybe this allows Marshall to get some to have some time to get his feet wet right that, that you've got a guy like right. Perkins who can come in who's had some snaps albeit at the junior college level but then that sort of lets Marshall get his feet wet slowly over time um but here's the reality is Marshall's going to have to be a stud. He's going to have to be a stud early for this defense to really be nasty like Grantham wants it to be. Um, you know, we'll see. I, I think I think Perkins is a solid addition. I think the difference maker that you're asking for at Star is probably a lot to ask. I think the expectations probably need to be more solid than a huge difference maker. But, uh, you know, again, I, I haven't spent a lot of time watching film, and maybe he'll jump off at, jump off at me when I look at the film. But, uh, um, you know, I, I, I sort of think – that position has been a detriment. Yeah, as you're to your point, at least don't be a detriment at that position. <laughs> just average, just average will be good. We'll take it. I, I got to be honest, just average. We would have taken it just about every defensive spot last year. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I think I think the size is interesting, right? The size is interesting. I'm not sure that you can really believe the 40 numbers at this point, yeah. but I mean, you don't run a four four two. You're not running a four eight. Right. And, and that's sort of the difference is we've seen some guys who take bad angles in the secondary. And we've also seen guys who really just weren't fast enough, even if they did take good angles in the secondary. That's not going to be a problem. He's going to be fast enough to compete in the SEC. Um, you know, 190 isn't really that big for six foot two. So we'll see. He probably needs to put a little bit of meat on his bones there, too, to to really compete, especially if he's going to be inside at the star, because that guy, you know, as we saw with Chauncey Gardner Johnson in 2017, um, you know, oftentimes you do have to support in the run and, uh, you know, <laughs> it didn't go so well in 2017. Went a lot better in 2018. Absolutely, absolutely. So, <clears throat> all right. Well, let's get to the uh, theme of the episode. As I said uh, last week, we really hit the uh, the uh, the run game, quarterback run game, running backs. A lot of numbers uh, thrown at you there. Now this week, we're going to shift it to the passing passing attack and mostly focus on these Florida wide receivers. So, Will, I think we definitely we have to start with what Florida is losing from 2020. To 2021 and a lot there uh losing there let's go back a year ago into transition from 2019 to 2020 for comparison jefferson p ryan swain hammond cleveland all departed 
and took 179 catches of teams total of 316 with them. So, uh, you know, 179 catches uh, of a team total 316. Florida was losing 56.6% of catches heading into the 2020 season. Well, you know, departures, Tony, Pitts, Grimes uh, responded, and just the three of them, just the three of them accounted for 47% of receptions last season for the Florida Gator passing attack. So five lead from the year before and accounted for 56.6% of receptions. And the three of Tony Pitts and Grimes accounted for 151 catches of the team's 319. Once again, good for 47% of the catches last year. So we'll couple things here. Production of Kadarius, Tony. I mean, we, we, of course we hit on it all last season uh, around NFL draft time as well. 70 catches, by far and away, the most for a wide receiver under Dan Mullen of Florida. Now, you can look at that a couple ways. The biggest reason for that, Tony earning those catches. Or earning those catches. He, he, he developed into a really nice wide receiver. He earned those catches. You know, but Pitts had 43, would have had more had he not missed the second half of the Georgia game the Arkansas game, Vanderbilt game, LSU game uh, as well. So Tony probably wouldn't have had, you know, that that many catches, of course, with Pitts on the field. Probably would have been around that 60 number. Pitts around probably 55 had Pitts played in 11 games like Tony did. Uh, in, a, in a less pass-happy offense, the year before, Pitts led the way with 54 catches and, and Van Jefferson in 40, uh, with, with 49. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, Pitts would have been well over that 50 mark in more the past happy 2020 uh, offense. Another thing, will you look at this graphic here? If you're watching the YouTube version, you can see the graphic. Florida, look what they're losing from the past couple of years. Eight, eight big time contributors here in the in the passing game in some form or fashion there um, from the last two seasons. That's a ton of talent to replace when you look at Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts from last year and date it back to two years ago, Van Jefferson, P. Ryan, Swain, Hammond, Cleveland. A lot of names, a lot of big names there. Will and Florida is just going to have to 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 keep up there uh, in, in from the last two years heading into twenty twenty one. Yeah, I mean it, it's a lot to lose, right? And these aren't necessarily Mullins guys. These are guys that I mean Pitts is a guy that he brought in, but and Grimes was somebody he brought in as a transfer. But Tony Jefferson, yeah. P Ryan, yeah. Swain, Hammond, and Cleveland were guys that uh, you know that that he hadn't necessarily brought in. Now, one thing I think is interesting is that in 2019, the four top wide receivers, Jefferson, Hammond, Swain, and Cleveland, accounted for 13.8% of their wide of their receptions went for explosive plays. And so when you looked at the 2020 offense, you said, hey, maybe Florida has a shot because Tony, Pitts, Copeland, and Cleveland, 13.9% of their catches went for explosive plays. You don't necessarily have that this year. You know, it, it, it's something where it's, it's just the reality is, is that Florida has been a lot less explosive and a lot less experienced in terms of the guys that they've got coming out. So you're looking at, but I mean, at the same time, the, the sort of, I guess, framework for explosive plays is there. I mean, Jacob Copeland had eight explosive plays and 23 catches last year. They got a lot of explosives out of their running backs. They had 11 explosive plays out of their running backs on throws to to Davis and Wright and Pierce. And so the framework is there to, We'll route. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
certainly. And and hopefully they'll be able to hit that again for, uh, you know, I'm guessing Kirby will ready, be ready for the wheel route this year. But, you know, you never really know because, uh, you know, he's Kirby. But, <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, you know, the, the potential exists for them to be able to um, for them to be able to you can see where they might get those from, but they're going to have to rely on positions that they haven't necessarily relied on. Or somebody like Malik Davis, who had six explosive plays out of the backfield, is maybe going to have to play a larger role at wide receiver. Yep, Will, so uh, that does now. We can make it shift to uh, what Florida has coming back, and I think we have to start with the top two returning wide receivers from last year, Justin Shorter, Jacob Copeland. Shorter had more catches, 25 catches, 267 yards, and three touchdowns. Copeland led the way in yards, 23 catches, 435 yards, and three touchdowns, so making more happen uh, with his catches. There is uh, Copeland, so much more. As far as yards go for Jacob Copeland, two less catches, but 168 more yards than Justin Shorter. Another feather, feather in Copeland's cap, 17 of his 23 catches went for a first down. Good for a 74% uh, percent of his catches going for a first down. Xavier Henderson was 75% in that category of catches going for first downs, but much smaller sample size with six of his eight catches going for first downs. Uh, for comparison, 50, 51% of Kadarius Tony's catches went for first downs, while 65% of Pitt's catches moved the chains. So uh, Jacob Copeland uh, up there, leading the team up there. And, of course, Tony Pitts, a lot more chances uh, for, for those guys. One more stat in Jacob Copeland's favor, Will. Led the team last year in average yards per catch, as you mentioned with that explosiveness. Average yards, average yards per catch, 18.9. So he's making catches down the field, stretching the field is Jacob Copeland. That was a whole yard better than Kyle Pitts for comparison there, Will. Yeah, well, I mean, the interesting thing about Copeland is when you look at it, I mean, the eight explosives, like you mentioned, 18.9 yards per catch. The place that you have to see improvement is he was targeted 40 times and he only had 23 receptions. And so his catch per target ratio is 58%, which was way less than Tony. Tony was at 81%. And the interesting thing is on a per target basis, Tony and Copeland turned in the same number of explosive plays. So 20% of the time when the ball was thrown their direction um, from a targeting perspective, they turned it into an explosive play. It's just that Tony caught the ball a lot more often. And so was able to convert that into 17 explosive plays last year. And that's really where I think Copeland can improve. If you look at his explosives per catch, it's 35%. And that's way higher than Tony, who's at 24%, and right around where Pitts is at 35% as well. So your comparison to Pitts, I think, is relatively good there in terms of his ability to be explosive. And obviously, the the more explosive you can be, the more points you tend to score. But it's more of a consistency thing. You know, Pitts caught the ball 66% of the time he caught it when he was targeted versus 58% for Copeland. And Copeland was 54% the year before, and, and Pitts was up around 70%. So that number doesn't seem to change very much, which is one of the things I think you sort of look at going in is that that, that number doesn't change very often, but if Copeland can change it, then he can really turn into an elite wide receiver. Well, it kind of goes into one of the first questions here uh, from uh, Gators Breakdown Plus members. Uh, Southern Gator here, Scott Sweat. Uh, sent this question, will Copeland take note of what Tony did last season and commit to elevating his game? First of all, I think that begins with opportunity, Will. That's what Kadarius Tony was able to get last year. As we mentioned, we went back and looked at 2019 to 2020 and everybody that was leaving. Uh, so, look, Kadarius Tony not only 
did it, but he had to do it. Florida needed a receiver to step up like that with what they were losing. The opportunity was there. It was there for Trevon Grimes. He didn't necessarily show up like Kadarius Tony. It was there for Jacob Copeland last year, but it was Kadarius Tony who was able to, you know, turn it around. And look, I think a lot of the questions that you know we there was a, there were a lot of questions about Kadarius Tony. I remember putting up Kadarius Tony stats going in the last year and was like, hey, look. There, there's not a lot here. <laughs> There's not a lot to like here. Uh, honestly, yeah, we knew about the explosive plays that he can make, and but it was still, could he get upfield? Would he make plays upfield? Would he quit dancing around and, and taking losses? You know, it, it, for every good play, there was a bad play uh, for Kadarius Tony. He turned it around. He became a wide receiver more than that gadget player. So now, Jacob Copeland, we ask ourselves the question: you know, the, the, the drops and the and, and running the right route and being on the same page with the quarterback. That's what it's going to take. And But first and foremost, it's opportunity. He's got the opportunity now. Kyle Pitts is going. Kadarius Tony's going. Trevon Grabs is going. This is Jake Bukopin's receiving core, or will at least it should be. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit hesitant to use the Tony comparison for 2019 because he was hurt, right? I mean, he came out in that Miami game, made a yeah. giant play to start, and then was hurt maybe a week or two later. And so they, he only had 13 targets the whole season, caught 10 of them. Right. So 77% of the time the ball was thrown his way, he caught it. And and last year that didn't improve very much. It was 81%. It improved a little bit. But the difference is he was targeted 86 times. So that does go to what you're talking about in terms of opportunity, where Copeland was only targeted 37 times in 2019 and he was targeted 40 times in 2020. But part of the reason he was only targeted that much is because he wasn't necessarily catching the ball all that often when he was targeted 54% in 2019 and then 58% in 2020. So that to me is the thing it's a consistency issue right it's you can't have the drop on the slant when you got a first down um you know that that you're that that play against lsu last year where he got caught by the heel basically on what would have really been a back-breaking touchdown to, to i think it was to open up the second quarter those sorts of things you're gonna have to convert when you have the opportunity and uh, you know i'd say the same thing about shorter i mean shorter showed some of the same things especially in the last couple of games of the year where he was open downfield when the ball hit him in the hands didn't necessarily catch it those things are gonna have to improve for those two guys because they're the ones who we're perceiving are going to step up but at least when you look at the stats for again for tony and pitts you can see the markers for what's going to happen in 2020 from the 2019 stats the markers for copeland and for shorter i think are a little bit more uncertain absolutely absolutely there so will those were the uh, it was i think perfect to start there i think those are the two guys that a lot of people are looking at to help replace their production of Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts. Justin Shorter thrown into that former five-star recruit, got the size, uh, made some plays last year. Um, that big-time catch against Arkansas uh, there in the corner of the end zone, beautiful catch there. He's shown some ability. He's got a rebound uh, after a pretty pitiful, as you said, end-of-season bowl game as well. Um, I mean, it's been shared around the last couple of days that Emory Jones hitting him right in the hands in the bowl game down the field and uh, not a not – a, a no catch, uh, an ugly drop uh, there. So they got to fix that. We'll get into that later uh, as well. So we'll move on to the next topic, Will, and this next question, another Gator break, Gators Breakdown Plus. Um, uh, Defenstrator 19, Dustin Woolbright, uh, member there for Gators Breakdown Plus. Everybody, if you know, if you want to be able to uh, send some questions in that I will get in here on the podcast, go join uh, Gators Breakdown Plus. But uh, he asked, how deep will the wide receiver core be? He's most confident in Copeland, Shorter, Henderson, Whittemore. But after that, who else? So, Will, I mean, we'll go and, and look at, 
you know, just kind of the, the overall numbers here, you know, how, how does Florida spread the love? Uh, in 2018, Van Jefferson led the way, 35 catches, but had three players behind him not that far off. Josh Hammond had 28 catches. Grimes, 26. Tony, 25. Four, four players all within 10 catches of each other on Dan Mullen's first season in 2018. 2019, much of the same. Pitts led the way with 54 catches. Jefferson right behind him with 49, P. Ryan 40, Swain 38, Grimes 33, Hammond 27, Cleveland 25, Copeland 21. Eight players with at least 20 catches in 2019. 2020 led the way for go-to wide receivers, go-to options. Tony and Pitts lead the way. Pitts had five more catches than Grimes in three less games. (laughs) So the full arsenal, the ball was going to be going to Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts. Well, man, I, I don't see that happening in 2021. I, I think Copeland and Shorter, they do take leaps, but I don't think they pull away from the others uh, like Tony and Pitts. I, I really don't. I think this is going to be like a 2018, 2019, where all the receptions are, are pretty close to each other. Uh, and I'm not even sure Shorter will be you know second on the team in catches in 2021. Uh, there's a group of players. Uh, Rick Wells, 12 catches. Zipperer, 11. Gamble, 10. Whittemore, 10. Henderson, 9. All grouped together there uh, from last year. I can see, I can see the scenario where those guys you know, up their production, but stay grouped together, much like 2018, 2019. I'll go to one player, and I think that can probably separate from this group a little bit. And I'm going to it with him more here. Five of his ten catches came in the first two games last season before he was injured. Those totaled 56 yards and one touchdown. Early in the season, he was a target. You know when Florida would bring uh, bring that whole second group of receivers in and everybody was kind of mystified by that you know why are you taking Pitts away why are you taking Grimes away why are you taking Tony away they would you know bring a whole nother platoon of receivers in Whittemore was part of that second group early on in the season and he was targeted a good bit as I said five of his 10 catches came in those first two games 56 yards one touchdown and we'll see if Rick Wells uh, can build in his bowl game performance six catches there in, in the bowl game but uh, I'm just looking at Whittemore and how much he was targeted early before he got hurt, Will. I think if there's going to be a guy who's going to get some catches that can prove he can go up and get it, maybe even move the chains a little bit. But Whittemore showed some flashes of that early on before he got hurt. Yeah, I mean, c- certainly the coaches saw it. So Whittemore, 10 catches, 12 targets. So 83% of his catches or of his targets turned into catches. Um, you know, that's up there with with Kadarius Tony from last year and Kadarius Tony from 2019 when he was injured. Now, Tony averaged 19 yards a catch in 2019. And Whittemore only averaged 12.8. So we're talking about different types of players. But when you yeah. One of the things I think looking at catch the catch per target ratio really does is it tells you who's getting open. Right. Because the quarterback isn't going to deliver it perfectly all the time. And so if the guy's blanketed, if the guy's covered, then you're not necessarily going to see a really good ratio of catch to target. And the fact that Whittemore's at 83 percent says that at least in one on one coverage and granted, he was he was garnering a lot of one-on-one coverage when some of those other guys were on the field but on one-on-one coverage he's generating separation and he's a tall big target and so you know one of the things i think is going to be important is that emory jones finds a security blanket to throw to somebody that on third down and five he knows he can get it to he knows he's going to be open he knows he's going to be one-on-one coverage if he sees that coverage and whittemore really seems to show that skill yeah he's somebody i'm really looking forward to uh, and just because of those flashes early on uh, last year. Well, uh, another um, aspect of this, 
Uh, and you're, you're looking at numbers here. In 2019, Michael Pirine, running back, was third on the team uh, in, in catches. You go to 2020, and Malik Davis is fourth on the team. You go down to Naquan Wright, Damian Pierce as well. Running backs are going to be a, a part of this too. I know we're mainly talking – we talked running backs last week, but we really didn't talk about the passing aspect of it. You know, how much will the running backs be involved again? You, you only had Piran get involved in prior to last season, but then Pierce, Davis, Wright, all involved last year. Go back to the Georgia game. We all remember that, the real route over and over again, how much the running backs were involved. Um, they were involved a good bit in making some players miss when Kyle Trask would have to dump it off, and we, we saw those guys uh, make the most of it. And then also just a whole game plan put around the running backs out of the backfield versus Georgia. I mean, those guys are probably going to factor in – Pretty pretty good again. Yeah, I mean, you look at Davis Wright and Pierce, they're all coming back. 66 catches, 752 yards. So that was the third most yards in the team if you factor in that as the position, right? The guy who's playing mm. the running back. And the second most catches, averaging 11.4 yards per catch and 11 explosive plays, which would have been behind Tony and Pitts, but would have been in front of Trevon Grimes. So, um, yeah, they got a lot of production from the running backs last year. I think things are going to change a little bit because obviously you got Lorenzo Lingard and you've got Demarcus Bowman who are coming in and competing for those spots. But we've seen Bowman in some of the few spring highlights we've actually seen be able to catch that same wheel route going down the corner. And a guy like him who's got his kind of wheels, you know, guys like uh, Naquan Wright were getting caught. On the wheel route, you know, they tried to cut back and then got caught by the linebacker who was trailing them. Um, Demarcus Bowman ain't getting caught. So so that's maybe the thing you look for is if those newer guys, the five-star rated guys, the transfers, can come in and add an explosion that wasn't there next, last year. I mean, 11 explosive plays is a big deal. But I think if you look at it through the air, the running backs weren't necessarily accounting for a lot of touchdowns. And I think that maybe is the one thing that changes with the more explosive guys at running back is that they'll be able to account for more touchdowns, not just explosives. Uh, yep. Well, and yeah, one other aspect, uh, I think in, in looking at this is, you know, when you go through and see all these receivers, 2018, 2019, um, and you go and look at how many catches they had and, and how, how far, uh, down the field, and you look at this passing game is, you know, how much, how much does it change, you know, per yard per target per catch. And I think that was another aspect here. Uh, what I wanted to bring up in 2018, Yards per target were 8.19 yards. Yards per catch, uh, 12.83. Uh, that in 2019 went up a little uh, for yards per target at least. Uh, 8.61 yards per target. Yards per catch went down from 2018 to 2019, surprisingly, to 12.36. 2020, of course, just blew it all out of the water. Yards per target, 9.81 yards. Yards per catch, 14 Point two will for for yards per catch in that in that uh, offense last year. Really speaking to your point of explosive plays going down the field. You got to think, Will. I mean, surprisingly, in twenty eighteen, you know, being higher than twenty nineteen. I think part of that can be look at the run game in the run game if it's working. What it's going to do in opening up this offense going down the field one on one coverage for these receivers if that run game is working. If they have to worry about and, and move some defenders up in the box, you get a lot of one-on-one -on -one coverage. Florida's got a lot of size at wide receiver this year. I think Joe, Jacob Copeland, might, I, I think, is the smallest receiver on the team right now. I think when you go and look at it, it's ridiculous. If Florida's big, you know, and, and we knew about 
the recruiting profile of wide receivers when Dan Mullen and, and Billy Gonzalez come over from Mississippi State. They like the speedy, big-bodied receivers here. You get that again. This run game gets working, and I don't know if it'll be 14.2 like it was last year, yards per catch, but there's going to be a lot of potential. That run game is working for a lot of big plays down the field. Yeah, I mean, and, and you haven't even mentioned some of the guys who are coming in, right? You got Marcus Burke, you got Dejon Reynolds, two yep. top 300 guys who are coming in to contribute as well, who, um, you know, have a little bit different skill set than the guys that you've already talked about. But certainly you would expect Florida to get some of those guys involved too. That is one of the things is that, you know, it does feel like Mullen resists putting in young guys, except he does seem to get them in on a rotation basis at the, at the, at the wide receiver position, but you're absolutely right, right? This, this offense is going to be different this year. And one of the reasons it's going to be different is because of Emory Jones. One of the reasons it's going to be different is because their talent is so heavily loaded at the running back position. And one of the reasons it's going to be different is because when you really look at what Emory Jones has been able to do, I think he has a stronger arm than Kyle Trask. I think mm-hmm. Trask had excellent ball placement, but I think Jones has a stronger arm. And even in the Oklahoma game, you could see where he put the ball right on guys' hands down the field. And even if you only complete, say, 55% of your balls, if you're able to hit three, four, five of those downfield, you know, 50-yard passes, then your stats are going to look pretty good other than completion percentage at the end of the day. And that's really where it's going to come down to. I don't think they're going to average 14.2 yards per catch next year. But I don't know that they're going to average 12.4 either. Right? I think you're probably looking at somewhere in between. The question will be efficiency, right? And that's where sort of the yards per target comes in. So the fact that the offense went from 8.2 to 8.6 to then 9.8 last year, that 8.6 to 9.8 is why the team went from scoring 34 points a game to scoring 40 points a game. And so really sort of where you think Emory Jones is going to fit in there somewhere is probably about, you know, if he averages 8.6 yards a target, you're, you're talking 33, 34 points a game. If he averages 10 yards per target, you're talking 40, 41 points a game. And it's really that simple, right? It's 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 how efficient can he be? And efficiency isn't necessarily 75% completion percentage. It's how can you hit the big play when it's there because the defense is going to creep up and creep up and creep up. And then all of a sudden you're going to have an opportunity down the field. You got to make the play. All right, good stuff there. Uh, and now we're going into another question here from Litigator on Gator Breakdown Plus. He goes, I've heard a ton about each receiver's strengths. We said that a little bit here. But what is one area each receiver needs to improve in and what level players each would be if they can take a step forward? Um, really detailed there. Uh, first of all, and for everyone, not all of them, but for the, a big group of them that we saw in the bowl game, we already talked about with Jacob Cobin, drops. I mean, drops were huge, especially as the year went on last year and in that bowl game. I mean, zip, zipperer, uh, the, the whole the, – the, the, the tight end position. Kamori Gamble, I mean, I mean it was what? Way, well over five drops, I think, <laughs> but between those two guys. Jacob Copeland, we know that's a knock, knock that's been on him. We mentioned Justin Shorter also in the bowl game. I know it wouldn't put a whole lot of stock in the bowl game, but we had seen kind of notes of that, and it just kind of expounded itself uh, there in the bowl game of the, the, the drops and how much of an issue uh, those become. So that's first and foremost there. The receivers have to be hitting those jug machines through spring, through summer, in fall camp, prepping for the season. Uh, that's got to be that first and foremost, Will, what those guys have to fix. 
Yeah, I mean, Gamble had 10 catches last year, 24 targets. That that 42% ain't going to get the job done, especially when you got Zipper, who had 11 catches on 15 targets. So that's maybe, you know, maybe more than what does each individual player need to work on. It's how does the guy who was behind the next in line improve to be able to take that guy's job or at least push him. And that's, you know, when I look at tight end, I say zipper has some underlying statistics that says he should be a more effective player than gamble. But I suspect that they trust gamble in the, in the blocking game more than they trust zipper. So that's where he's going to probably have to improve. You know, Rick Wells has improved a lot over the last couple of years under Billy Gonzalez and Dan and Dan Mullins tutelage, but he's only averaged 9.9 yards per catch. So it's a lot of underneath stuff. So I would think going across the middle on crossing routes, being able to beat one-on-one coverage to get behind fade routes, those sorts of things are things where he just hasn't had the opportunity to do that yet. He might get that opportunity, but that's certainly uh, that's certainly something he's going to need to probably work on. And then you look at Xavier Henderson, sort of the same story as Gamble. Eight catches on 18 targets, so 44%. 15.6 yards per catch average when he catches it, but, but you know, not necessarily catching it very often. Yeah. Well, and he ran the wrong – well, he ran yep. the wrong route that uh, that cost the interception, the pick six against Georgia. So those sorts of things need to get cleaned up. And then, you know, Copeland and Shorter are going to be the leaders of this. And Copeland, you know, we already mentioned the explosiveness of him, but just the consistency, right? Making sure that you're making the plays you need to make and blocking on the outside. You know, one of the things that Dan Mullen's offenses have really asked from his wide receivers is that they block because they throw all those bubble screens, right? And a guy like Copeland and a guy like Henderson have the ability to take the ball, take the ball to the house if everything's blocked properly. And so guys like Weston and Pouncey and Frazers, those are all guys who, if they get, if they get out on the field are going to have to block because likely they're not going to be targeted as much as those other guys. And so blocking for those guys, when they have one of those bubble screens or when they throw a ball to a running back on a check down, being able to get that block and allow the guy to make a cut and get upfield instead of letting him get caught, you know, five, six yards downfield is probably, Probably one of the things we should be looking for, because that to me is what got Trent Whittemore on the field last year. He certainly played well when they threw the ball his way, but he was on the field because he was able to block when the ball wasn't coming his way. All right, good stuff there, Will, of guys that uh, stuff that guys need to improve on and what it can do for their game. Uh, here, Donovan German on Twitter, Will, when we put up this um, uh, episode topic on Twitter, got some responses there. Uh, and this one played right into the wheelhouse there from this past spring. Uh, so uh, hey, Donovan asked, how readily will they adjust to the improvisation that EJ will bring when plays break down? That's something they haven't had to do in a while. You know what? I just happened to ask Dan Mullen that exact question pretty much uh, back in the spring. So I'll go back and play that soundbite. Then uh, uh, Will and I will, will, will break it down here. With the difference in the ability to extend plays from the uh, quarterback position with Emory and Anthony, do you do you have to extend that to the wide receivers as well and, and how they adjust to different styles of quarterbacks and how much focus is there for the wide receivers to work that into their game? Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of focus on that with the receivers and, and everybody. All the other 10 players on the field, it becomes a very different deal. Huge change with the offensive line, very different with the wide receivers and running backs and tight ends. Um, actually very different defensively, you know, I mean, it's good that we get to practice against that, you know, I mean, of, of just the understanding and the importance of rush lanes and staying in coverage and, and how to, how to deal with extended plays and kind of the, uh, <clears throat> those plays that kind of get created beyond what was schemed up to go do. So, uh, there's a lot that goes into that, a lot of teaching that goes into the two. 
well, as they said, a lot of teaching that goes into that. And as Dom said, something something these players have not had to do in a while. Now, Mullen didn't really go into detail about the whole receivers. Uh, they're kind of beat around the bush there uh, with, with that answer. But, you know, it does let us know and kind of go into how he ended it is how big of an asset extending plays from the quarterback position can be for these receivers. You can have a lot of big plays. I always go back to um, uh, 2018 at Tennessee, Felipe Franks extends the play, rolls to his right, finds Freddie Swain by the sideline. Freddie Swain outruns the balls for, for a big touchdown. You know, extending plays, wide receivers knowing what they need to do uh, there. And that begs the question, you know, if, if a defense is going to play a lot of man coverage, can these receivers, you know, basically run their, run their guy out of a play? You know, or, or you know, how is it taught? Do they run their guy out of the play because the guy's in man coverage? Or if you're running back toward the quarterback, you know, do you put that defender back in the play because you're running back toward the quarterback? There's a lot of teaching moments there in how these coaches want these receivers to be able to to help their quarterback. And, of course, you first and foremost work back to the quarterback or or find sit down in the zone, sit there for the, the quarterback to see you in extending these plays. So there's a lot to teach about sitting down in zones, either run down the field, run toward the sideline, run back towards your quarterback. There's a lot to teach here and something these receivers haven't had to do a lot of because it's just this passing attack the last couple of years has been rhythm-based, three-step, five-step, seven-step drop. The ball's coming out of Kyle Pitts or Kyle Trask's hand. It's a lot different with EJ. They're going to be doing a lot of that too. But if the play's not there, EJ doesn't have to force it. He can use his legs to extend the play. So, that, yeah, that, that's really going to be interesting how much they teach that aspect of the game to the wide receivers this year. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned Franks in 2018 against Tennessee because the first thing that jumps to my mind is is Terry Wilson for Kentucky in 2018 right. against Florida in the swamp right. and and how much his legs really just sort of changed the complexion of that game where, you know, he really didn't play all that well. He hit a couple mm-hmm. of really big plays through the air. He had a couple of really big runs, and Kentucky's able to beat Florida in a game that, quite honestly, Florida probably should have won except for that they couldn't stop the run and they couldn't stop Terry Wilson when it really mattered. That's the kind of offensive performance you might get against a really good defense like Alabama, where you know one or two big plays can sort of open up the floodgates and and discourage them and get them back on their heels, and then you're able to maybe turn the game and by doing that sort of thing. The other thing that I think to consider is not just the often or not just the wide receivers that need to be trained for all that stuff. The the offensive line needs to be trained for all of that stuff. So you know, obviously there have been some issues in pass protection on the offensive line, but they have always known where Kyle Trask was going to be. So there really haven't been a whole lot of holding penalties. And one of the things you start getting when the quarterback runs around and extends plays is you start getting holding penalties as you've got the guy by the lapels and then he changes direction to go after the quarterback and you didn't know that the quarterback moved. And so all of a sudden it looks like a holding. So that's the other thing that they're going to have to adjust to on offense is not just the wide receivers figuring out what to do when Emory Jones is scrambling around, but really the whole offense, in particular the offensive line, making sure they know what to do as well. Yeah, Mullen brought that up too. But you know, it, the other ten players on the field are going to have to have to have to know uh, what's going to happen when the when the play breaks down, uh, like the quarterback. So plenty uh, to to work on there um, this offseason. So, well, something else that I just kind of thought of uh, offhand. Didn't really uh, on YouTube. I've thrown up these graphics to kind of help uh, explain everything. But uh, not one for this one. But uh, who's going to replace Tony on third down? Uh, from this past year, uh, Tony was targeted 27 times on third down. He caught 21 of them. He was far and away the leader there being targeted 28% of the time on third down compared to the other wide receivers. The next two were Grimes at 14% and Pitts with 13%. So 
The guys that left were the third down targets for Kyle Trask last year. Extending that, Will, for Tony, 10 of those were first down, resulting in about 48% of Tony's third down grabs went for a first down. He was the target to move the chains on third down. Florida needed to – Florida was looking for Kadarius Tony. Kyle Trask was looking for Kadarius Tony on third down. 48% of those third down catches went for first downs for Kadarius Tony. So that's a big step. Somebody's going to have to take that step. Somebody's going to have to be that player uh, that can step up on third down. The leading returner in that category of third downs turned into first downs is Jacob Copeland, but very limited there, Will. Copeland had five third down catches. Four of them went for a first down. So he made the most of those third down catches. Very limited sample size, but maybe you're looking at somebody who has the uh, you know that one-year pedigree of five third down catches last year. Four of them went for a first down. Yeah, it's interesting. I actually think the place that you probably look for is running back. And there's been a lot of talk about Malik Davis potentially going out of the slot. 31 catches last year on 37 targets. Obviously, those some of those are check downs and things like that. The other thing that I, I, I wonder whether they'll decide to do is Naquan Wright is probably the guy who's going to get left out if they put him back in the backfield with Bowman and Lingard and Davis and Pierce and, and all those guys back there in the backfield. But he had 19 catches on 19 targets, 11 and a half yards per catch, and certainly showed good hands on some of those wheel routes against Georgia. I wonder whether he's the guy that they actually put out into the slot because Wright has shown – now, look, nobody has the nobody has the moves of Kadarius Tony, but Wright showed some shiftiness last year when he was running – you know, and, and and avoiding defenders, but wasn't necessarily able to power through them. And I wonder whether they see that and say, hey, on third down, this guy, you know, you start him out in the backfield and then you motion him out to the slot and he gives you the ability to be shifty enough to get open on third down. And certainly 19 catches on 19 targets says he's got the hands to be able to handle that sort of stuff. So, you know, as I'm looking at this, I say Malik Davis is maybe one option, but Naquan Wright is maybe another one because I don't know that he's going to get a lot of carries at the running back position. Interesting, yeah. I mean, we're talking about how how could running backs be involved in this offense, and third down uh, is one of them. The mismatch there, you know. Hopefully, you're in, and hopefully you're in. You know, with this kind of running style offense, you're in some third and shorts there. Uh, you can take advantage of and there's running backs coming out of the backfield, uh, as you said there. Whether it be in motion or you know just from the just from the snap coming out of the backfield uh, into the flats or or something like that and making a guy miss uh, there. So good stuff there, Will man. Uh, That'll do it for the, what our, our previews of these wide receivers and what to expect maybe a little bit in 2021. Everybody, thanks for the questions uh, you sent in as well. But uh, I think there's a lot to be excited for. Uh, still, uh, There's a, a lot more unproven, I, I think, than compared to, to, to last year. We knew that Pitts was the leading receiver, leading uh, reception leader from the year before he was coming back. We knew the potential of a Kadarius Tony, not what he actually did. I don't think we anybody expected that, but you knew you had some kind of weapon there in Kadarius Tony. Uh, and you know, Trevon Grimes, too. And behind Jacob Copeland and, and maybe Justin Shorter, I, th- I think I put Copeland still up there just a little bit because he's been at Florida and been able to do it for a couple years. Um, but just a lot uh, – when, when we say unproven, Will, there's a, a lot of unproven pieces of this uh, wide receiver core. That's part of what makes it fun, though, right? I mean, one of the cool parts about college football is you don't end up with Tom Brady at one program for, you know, 22 years and the Patriots winning every year because of it. You've got 
turnover every four years. And granted, you go, it has felt like Alabama and, and Clemson and Ohio State have been sort of dominating college football. And in some ways, that's true. At the same time, all it really takes is sort of a group of guys at one program sort of all rise up at the same time. And all of a sudden, you've got an opportunity to compete with those guys. And that that's really what Florida's hopefully going to be able to do is, is sort of identify the new guys who are going to come up, take the place of Swain and Hammond and Tony and Pitts. And you know, the reality is, is Florida's had an awful lot of guys drafted over the last three or four years. And a lot of that is attributable to some of the recruiting from Jim McElwain, but a lot of that is attributable to the development of Dan Mullen and Billy Gonzalez. And, you know, Every single player who comes to Florida and then leaves raves about Gonzalez. And so, you know, I, I think he might be hard on them, but at the same time, I think they're all getting better. And that's one of the things that I think is encouraging is then when you look at the talent that Florida has, the recruiting hasn't necessarily been great, but it hasn't been awful at the wide receiver position. But they've certainly taken guys who have, you know, good but not great pedigrees and turn them into awesome wide receivers. And I suspect that we're going to have one or two guys who surprise us this year as well. All right. That's Will Miles. You can find him on his site at read and reaction. Will, what you got going on there uh, recently? I know uh, also a, a new episode of, uh, of two bits has been up. Yeah, yeah. So Stand Up and Holler is, is the new sort of YouTube thing that Nick Newton and I are doing. So we put that up. There's a discussion there about whether uh, Bud Elliott had brought up whether uh, you would trade Mullen for Kirby Smart. So I drew the short end of the straw on that argument, but uh, <laughs> had to make the argument. I did not sure I necessarily wanted to make on that one, but uh, no, it's fun. Just sort of PTI style going back and forth. I've got a bunch of articles in the hopper, just haven't been able to finish them up. Um, so uh, hopefully something on Emory Jones coming soon. And you put What's out that? one this week, and you put out one this week earlier this week. I I did. I put out one earlier this week that sort of looked at, uh, you know, shoot, I forget what <laughs> what it was, but well, I think it was dating yeah. back the last week, kind of our discussion with the the receivers and. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. It was looking. It was looking at Emory Jones and sort of how much he needs to pass in order for the Gators Gators to be successful. So, uh, yeah, that that was. I, I think that was an interesting look, sort of follow up to the discussion we had last week, and uh, you know, everybody should go over there and check it out. All right, that's readingreaction.com where you can find Will's work and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. Gators Breakdown.